Hey, this episode was brought to you by Good Episode Productions. Fuck you. The year is 2020. Uh, chaos has befallen the entire known galaxy. Terrible things have happened to my father. <laughs> <laughs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the American Dumbledore, has passed away. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just oh, saw God. that article and died, so thank you for that. Good stuff. Mm. <laughs> Great <laughs> stuff. <laughs> it's uh, good to... Good to not be American, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. the The smoke just cleared up. Um, oh hell okay. yeah! At least, uh, at least where I live, which is uh, not close to any like actual fires, but it was pretty bad. It was in yeah. the like upper two hundreds of the AQI. So. Shit! Yeah. That's Hi- good. Highly orange. <laughs> highly uh, the highly hey, orange. um, it's like. America kind of got the the should have called it uh-huh. the Trump air. Oh oh shit oh yeah. shit you got it. Someone a... opened up a bag Orange. of Cheetos and now it's all in the air. Got Orange it. sky bad. <laughs> that was a slam dunk. Yeah. <laughs> um. A million tweets couldn't fell him, but finally <laughs> the the final blow it happened and he's gone. Trump found. Fell down a mine shaft. <laughs> I've been trying to like uh, subtly uh, coax our friends Augie and Neef to start their Berserk podcast, and it looks like yeah, I saw that. It looks like it might happen, which is exciting. What is Berserk? It's a thing. It's like interesting. It's a manga and also an anime. It's about um, a very strong guy with a big sword. Oh, so a cl- classic anime. Yeah, sort of. but it's actually cool. like, <laughs> it's it's like you know, imagine a song of ice and fire, but as an anime, okay. I guess. Sounds good. If there was, if they started a podcast, I would have to read it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have you heard of this little-known video game named Dark Souls? Oh my god, I was going to mm. bring that up. <laughs> it's uh, something I'm vaguely familiar yeah. with. Yes. I, I'm familiar. <laughs> I've been in the room while someone else on this podcast has been playing it. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> So it's kind of like it's kind of like the main inspiration for that. Nice. You also you also got flirted with on Tinder by a guy who claims to have beaten all of them. Wasn't that the that was the line, wasn't it? Was it flirting? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it was. It was a it was a man saying, um, well I'll have you know that I've beaten every single Souls game and I was like, You can really cool. Wow. <laughs> wow. And then you made the, the Aria Date I me can't not now. fuck this guy face. Yeah, I was like, damn, this is as this the, pretty cool. As the Dark Souls of being dated. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the Dark Souls of Tinder messages, definitely. <laughs> Speaking of which, the, the Tinder FMV is updated again today, so I gotta get on that, gotta get in what? the... Uh... What? what? <laughs> the Tinder FMV that is suddenly they're doing for no reason. Um, It's called... Oh. I can't... It's like called a like, yeah, it's called like swipe night, and um. No, but is it like is it like actually by Tinder or is it just like? It's on Tinder. What? So you go on Tinder and you're there's like a meet you're at like a party and you have to make decisions uh-huh. by swiping left or right. Um, swipe night is an interactive event with a surprise behind every swipe. Fucking hell. Yeah, and then um, <laughs> at the end you f- we've realized that actually um 
a, a comet that's going by has like shattered and it's sending comets onto the earth and now you have to make decisions and then each what? week it, it like updates with the chapter and um, and then when you go on normal tinder you can match with people depending on if you made the same decisions inside swipe oh wow <laughs> that's incredible like this this is genuinely the first thing in years that makes me want to consider redownloading tinder it's very short, but like I'm like appreciating the thing is, if it. It's training for like if there's actual comments, like uh-huh. Ender's Game, it'll actually <laughs> yeah. be the. Real. It's actually real, yeah. It's actually yeah. getting data from all the decisions that we've been making. Been like interesting. Like, the most intriguing fact to me is that it's it they're trying to sell it as a conversation starter with someone you would uh, you would match mm. with. Yeah. That this is this is genuinely amazing like this is the you know when people talk about how something is like black mirror shit this is like the opposite Mm. of that because it's just extremely stupid (laughs) (laughs) well the the thing with tinder is as a as as tinder goes you sort of run out of like new things you can do with it because it's like yeah you know you swipe left you swipe right you have a conversation they're like okay how about tinder gold and so they invent that and now they're like, what else can we do to make people come to Tinder? And they're like, what if we just had like an F <laughs> and B? And I think Tinder that's, Snatch. Yeah. It's it's better than Bandersnatch, I think. <laughs> In heaven everything is fine. In heaven. before you get the right number to clap on am i right okay (laughs) (laughs) the sexual tension between the numbers and the clap yeah exactly (laughs) the sexual tension between your two hands when you clap them together (laughs) that they're like far apart and they're not allowed to touch yet so it's like building up all the tension and then you clap and it's like a big thing how did we start this podcast uh you asked the same question last time and i'm gonna say the same thing I said last time is by saying welcome to Lynchpin. Okay. Uh, well, you see, a month is just a long time. Okay. Hello and welcome to Lynchpin, a monthly podcast where we talk about David Lynch's body of work in chronological order. Um, I'm your host, Charlotte, and I love the film Dune. Uh, I'm your host, <laughs> Janosch, and I like to walk without rhythm. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm your host, Alec, and I bend like a reed in the wind. Hell nice. yeah. I'm your host, Jan, and they shit and piss in the suits. <laughs> <laughs> they do, but, you know, sometimes it's the most efficient way. Mm-hmm. But does the suit jerk them off? <laughs> I was going to bring that up. Um, it should do. Constantly, the- just it, it, it edges them throughout the whole film. <laughs> That's why they're all so tense. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> they have to conquer the worm as an active sort of Freudian it's, it's, release. Yeah, yeah, it's like a, it's a phallic metaphor. Yeah. Sure. Um, That's so funny. Yeah, speaking of, speaking of Dark Souls, this is the... Uh, Dark Souls of 80s science fiction movies. Many people are calling it that. 
I think that's maybe true. <laughs> it's certainly the Dark Souls of... Well, no, that's not true. It's not the hardest to watch of David Lynch's films. Probably. Uh-huh. I found it very easy to watch. I'm yeah, just putting I'll that out there. <laughs> breeze through it. Yeah. I was like, this is two and a half hours and I'm loving every single minute. <laughs> Uh, I don't know how we should we should start this. Um, I guess uh, June, I, if you didn't know, I have something we can uh, we can start to use it to start a discussion. Uh, I just need to find the exact wording of this. Okay, so here's a tweet by Kevin Smith, <laughs> and okay. he has something to say about Dune. Mm-hmm. He says the spice must flow. And it all just flowed out of my underwear after watching this Dune movie trailer. This oh, haunting God. epic glimpse of a future Best Picture winner will not fade from my memory anytime soon. I know uh. what I'm doing on opening night. Oh my God. <laughs> that's, that's excellent. Okay. Well, Dune I, I is... I won't trade these tickets for anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put my nachos in some more dip. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Um, Dune is a 1984 movie by David Lynch based on the science fiction book of the same name by Frank Herbert. It is. Um, it, even as much as David Lynch doesn't want you to admit that, mm-hmm. it is a movie yes. by him. Well, it was initially supposed to be done by other people. Um, it was eventually given to David Lynch to direct. Um, and on uh, release, it was a financial not success. I wonder um, why. Uh, because, you know, it's maybe... I don't know if they were approaching it like it was going to be a big blockbuster movie, but that's mm. really not how it's made. That's, <laughs> I think that's what David Lynch always says about this, that this was like his... This is the reason why he doesn't... Like, he never did, like, big studio movies after this. Uh, and thank God for that. So, yeah. thank you, Dune. <laughs> thank you, Dune, for so much. Thank you, Dune. Um, yeah, it wasn't successful, but it does have, like, a sort of cult following. And also, yeah. there were people at the time who were really into it. Dune heads, you know. Um, and fans of the books have mixed opinions on it for various reasons. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how many of us have read the book? I read the book. I have not. I have not. I have read the book. <laughs> but it's it's been a very long time ago, so I only vaguely remember things. Uh, I I guess Do you we'll fondly get there. remember it? Huh? Is it a fond memory? Is it, oh yeah, I, it? I have yeah. a very clear memory that I read a huge chunk on it on an airplane. You see, some people uh, don't know their Butlerian Jihad from their um, Mentat training schools, and yeah. that's okay. You know, you can enjoy this movie despite that. Um, well, I think I think I read somewhere that in the in the first releases they had little cheat sheets. Some of the cinemas had little cheat sheets they'd give to people just so they knew sort of what was going on. And to be fair, the book also had that. Like there was a huge chunk of just explanations ah. of things that mm. weren't like properly explained in the text, so you had to like look up the appendix to mm. actually find out what the Bene Gesserit are. Yes, uh, dense. Which, by the way, I always pronounce it in my head as Bene Gesserit. In, th- in this movie, they say Bene Gesserit. That's I... how I pronounce it, because I saw this movie first. So I always mm. think Bene Gesserit, but I don't know. I, I've had like my head kind of pronunciation in my head for 
such a long time. Like it, it's funny because as I said, I don't remember much about like the actual plot of the book. It's just like these certain phrases, like I will always remember the words or like like these this weird made up things like Benegaseret and uh, Kwisatz Haderach and Muad'Dib. Well, he is the Kwisatz Haderach. Um, <laughs> the, the thing about this, the thing about this movie, yeah, um, <laughs> is I I saw it when I was very young, and I've seen it pretty much every two years <laughs> since then, since I was about maybe eight. So <laughs> I know it incredibly well. Um, what is this movie like when you're eight? Very confusing. Um, I'm like, I don't know what's happening, but there are giant worms and Carl McLaughlin's there. Mm-hmm. And there's all these bold ladies and they're doing something. And there's this big floating guy and he's pulling the plugs out of people. And I'm just sitting there <laughs> nodding, going, okay. <laughs> is this why you like big things? Probably, yeah. Um, and I'm like sitting there like, they're right, you know? They are right that... Um, without change, something within us sleeps and is seldom awoken. The sleeper must awaken. Uh, <laughs> also, bend like a reed in a wind. In the wind. Also, fear is the mind killer, etc., etc. All say, things like, that linger on. I'm just gonna say some of the things that has have stuck me in my mind uh, in my mind about the book, and it's mm. I, I said this in the beginning when we introduced ourselves. Walk, walking without rhythm is like a concept yes. I have not stopped thinking about since i first read the book also it's in that fat boy slim yeah Yeah. weapon of choice yeah banger (laughs) pretty good song um Um, i do have stages of just trying to find music that's inspired by dune yeah um because i need it and there's a couple there's a couple interesting ones i think there's some floyd songs and also obviously there is the um grimes album giddy primes but Uh grimes is cancelled so (laughs) (laughs) r.i.p Uh, yeah, so, so like, yeah, Walk Without Rhythm is, like... Because, ha- have you all ever tried Walking Without Rhythm? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's weird. It's like, what does it even mean? You just yeah, gotta... that would be difficult. It would just be, like, a different rhythm. Mm-hmm. I guess if you change the rhythm every time, that would be... Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's like, explained in, in the book as... Uh, and I think also kind of explained in the movie as... Uh, the worm is attracted to like if you walk like because normal humans walk with a rhythm <laughs> so it's like mm-hmm. it's like a two fourth or four fourth beat or whatever it's like you know when you listen to music and it matches up with your steps yeah but if you like the worm notices that but uh if you walk without rhythm it's not going to be much different than like the wind sounds of the desert yeah it's also, it's sort of like when you're drumming on the ground and it makes worms come out of the soil, you know? Yeah. Similar thing. And the other okay. thing, like, fear is the mind killer is, of course, you know, the famous catchphrase. Fear that, is the mind killer. Uh, everyone knows. It's it's also funny how we have the, um, like, th- this this actually kind of matches up with, like, we're recording this, like, a week after they dropped the trailer for the new Dune movie. Mm. And it was also pretty funny how they included in the trailer the box of fear uh, box of pain scene mm. and yeah. they included the litany against um, fear was was said in the movie and the worm was also in the in the trailer so they really just iconic bit they just went for the greatest hits they did change the word um jihad to crusade well that's gonna make it unproblematic yeah so it's fine now don't worry about it <laughs> great job um, <laughs> problem solved they should just change it to j like yeah the, yeah, the, the yes. big j <laughs> yeah 
Oh, they're gonna go on one of those holy wars, you know, the big J. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're gonna go J. for a J, which stands for anything you want, just not jihad. Mm-hmm. They're gonna have a vast struggle. Um, okay, so onto this movie. What were people's overall impressions? I guess. Do we want to talk about the plot of this? Is that even possible? <laughs> I mean, I don't think you know. If you're if you're listening to this, you know the plot of Dune, right? You know the plot of Dune. It's a bit. <laughs> I don't. I just feel intuitive. like summarizing the plot of Dune is impossible. It's a classic uh, hero's journey. Yeah. yeah. It's about um, a guy called Paul Atreides in the year two one hundred ninety-one something. Ten thousand something, um, I think. Yeah, like a bunch of yeah, numbers. Uh, big number. He goes to a planet. It's a desert planet. There's some stuff called spice that makes you move while well, you travel without moving because it expands your consciousness. Um, and his royal family has been put in charge of the um, the Middle East. And um, <laughs> they're uh, at war with another family who are bad. And you can tell they're bad because they're ugly and gross. Um, <laughs> and also gay. And also, and also sting. Yeah, also Sting, also Ginger, also um, homoerotic, which are all evil things, as mm-hmm. we know. Yeah, Pete from <laughs> Twin Peaks is there. Uh, they do. They have like plugs in their hearts and shit, which isn't in the book, but don't worry about it. God, I fucking hated that. That I, I, it honestly makes me feel so ill. As an eight, right as out. an eight-year-old, very memorable scene. Oh, <laughs> um, they're betrayed by the Emperor because he feels threatened by. Uh, Paul's nice family who are good even though they're royal mm-hmm. um, he flees into the desert where he makes friends with the um, the cool indigenous people who are like you're our messiah white man mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and they make him like he teaches them to shoot things with sound which is also not in the book but it's fine it's fine uh, it's called like a weirding module and then he learns to ride the worms who are giant worms and they're scary. And meanwhile, he does some weird spiritual stuff and eats loads of spice and sees into the collective memory of all his ancestors and becomes the Kwisak Haderach, which is like the a super being, etc. Uh, and then together they defeat the bad people and he becomes the new emperor. But yeah. while doing so accidentally, even though he sort of knows it's going to happen, um, he sets off a um, big universe-wide jihad thing holy war where they go around and cleanse the universe of non-believers which and is stuff. cool and good the, which which is not presented as a good thing but it happens in the other books so you don't yeah. have to worry about it in this <laughs> it is kind uh, of like so i'm as as i said like i like dune i'm not still like like the book i'm not the biggest dune head i have only read the first book and haven't read any of the uh apparently buckwild insane sequels yeah guy comes guy becomes a worm he's a worm man <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, but I will that. say, I, I'm so torn because on, on the one hand, I think this is kind of the adaptation Dune deserves. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of it is great. On the other hand, I can also super feel why you would be upset if you're a big Dune hat because it's like the, the bit of nuance that is in the book is like not alluded to or removed. Like the whole, so the whole like jihad thing uh and and also like the the white savior thing is like kind of presented as a very shady thing in the book um and it's like 
you know it, it could have been done like more obviously as a bad thing but still it's like not not presented as like a cool thing you know mm. and it's like paul always has these visions that he's going to become the kwisatz Haderach and he's going to lead the jihad and it's like presented as terrifying and it's you know he, he he's trying to avoid his fate and uh, but then he's still at the end accepts it and from what i've read of the second book paul is not a good guy anymore <laughs> like he no. he stops being like the hero but in this one it's like kind of a happy end yeah it's kind of fine you know he he, he gets he becomes <laughs> bros with the fremen and it's cool and he becomes one of them and it's it's good mm. the parts with like the the overdub like what they're thinking okay yeah. is yeah. that a is that a thing in the books because no. it felt like no pretty unnecessary it's like so he kills the, the 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 baron kills the the twink in his in his court yeah and like and then he says this is what i will do to the atreides family like <laughs> yeah i feel like that's that's kind of yeah. implied but, i always wondered you know. i always wondered if it was like after initial screenings or yeah, a, like so a, like a studio yeah. requirement because they it, were like it feels like that yeah but they were like this is too confusing yeah. Uh, can you put in some voiceovers? Mm. But they're always completely unnecessary. They're always completely and... redundant. Yeah. And I haven't seen anything already... like right. this in a movie where it's like, like in, in, no. in there's other movies where you have, but it's usually like one guy, right? Like the the protagonist <laughs> yeah. is gonna have like mm, some yeah, voiceover yeah. maybe. Like Scrubs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or like uh, like every Scorsese movie. Um, right. But it's just gonna be one guy, and this one it's like everyone, every everyone you get to hear everyone's thoughts. Voice. Yeah, and I thought it was like because there's the one, uh, there's the one lady at the beginning who's like psychic, and so she can read minds, and that yeah. kind of makes sense. Yeah, the Reverend Mother. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I thought like, oh, they're building a thing where Paul gets that power or something, but no, it's just never. It's just bad filmmaking. Yeah, they never <laughs> use it like but, that at all. No. Yeah. I think like the the worst offender of this was um, that scene where there's like this flying arrow thing that mm -hmm. is like supposed to track paul and kill him and th th the way he's trying to like you hear the entire time how it's thinking oh it's trying to kill me it's trying to if i move it's going to do whatever <laughs> like like an entire monologue very good uh kyle mclaughlin asmr yeah part, i think yeah i quite like hearing his voice in my ear <laughs> If you had removed the voiceover at that part, it would have been a totally like suspenseful scene, you know, where you see oh, yeah, it floating in yeah. the air. <laughs> but it totally killed it. And then right after that, w when the door opens and he catches the arrow from the air, just like this little Fremen lady, and she says something to her and says the word Fremen in it, like something about like us the Fremen. And then you see him and you hear him thinking, a Fremen. <laughs> ah, a Fremen. I've it's heard like, of those. They're, well, they're yeah. uh, it's stuff that's like, you know, basic filmmaking where it's you can portray things with the way that it frames a face or something and they're making a facial expression like where um, the emperor, not the emperor, the, um, the duke is saving the guys in the um, spice mining plant and um, the guy who's with him, who's like a secret friend, and is like, "Oh, I'm starting to like this uh, this duke." And you could just you could just do that he cares by more like about his men than he spice. Like, yeah. yeah, that's the that's the point of the scene. You could just do that by just like framing his face and him being like, "Huh." Yeah, it's just show don't tell. That's the whole the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Which is so funny yeah. because it's David Lynch and because like 
his earlier movies were really good at this. Mm. Yeah. Uh, right. yeah I like guess imagine that... if a razor head, he was, <laughs> you, heard, <laughs> you heard him say, like, this baby just won't shut up. Like... <laughs> this baby's really thick. <laughs> I'm simultaneously afraid of women and also attracted to them. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, whoa, that's, he's got a baby for a face. Like... It's really weird how this chicken is moving on its own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Maybe I do want to see that cut of a razor head. <laughs> that would be pretty cool, actually. I'm always yeah. I always kind of wish with this movie you could just go back and recut it, um, and like change a few things and really? like take out the the voice yeah. like the voiceovers, and it would be like it wouldn't be hard, but it would be a better movie. If David Lynch cared about this movie, he, he yeah. could maybe do it. But like he, it's such a painful memory to him that he just he just rather not talk about it. Like if you watch any interviews it's always like when it comes to doing he's like no i don't want to talk about that one it's I, he, he said in, in like one interview where th that i watched where they were like going through like the interviewer was asking him questions about basically every movie he made up to that point it was like in the 90s so it was like lost highway has just about come has just come out so yeah and they're they're talking about talking about uh you know Eraser hat for like five minutes, ten minutes. They talk a lot about Elephant Man. Then when they get to Dune, he just says, uh, "I'd be honest with you, the memory was so painful that I have blocked out almost everything about filming Dune." No, <laughs> oh. oh. and it's sad because there's a lot to like Relatable, about this though. movie. Yeah, and there's yeah. a lot. Even apart from my own nostalgia and affection for it, there is stuff that I think is cool. I love the the set design. That's great. Um, I like. Yeah, I even like some of the like wackiest special effects. Um, I think they're good. <laughs> I, think I think they're, they're kind of cool. It looks like the, the very much at the beginning. There's like the shield practice scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My favorite scene in the whole movie. It's so <laughs> fucking good. It looks ugly as hell, but it looks very imaginative. Like I have not seen yeah, yeah, yeah. CGI like, effects it, it look like look, this it in genuinely like good... anything. Yeah, it doesn't look like good CGI, but I have not seen anything else look like that yeah. ever before. Yeah, and I wish movies did more. Like this is this is actually genuinely a thing that I wish movies did more because usually CGI is. Uh, there's actually a, a really good video that uh, that the video essay is Kyle Kellgren, Brosselt did a while ago yeah. where he talked about CGI, yeah. and he also said this that it's kind of a shame that um, CGI effects went in a direction where it's always trying to get more and more realistic. When there's mm. an entire untapped territory of like just uncanny value shit done on purpose that looks mm. weird and scary and you know you can always go weirder with it instead of going more realistic. It's always more yeah. You know it's like the difference between um, photorealism and any legitimately interesting art form. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like lawnmower man, that's got some really ugly uh, effects, but it's great and weird and kind of scary. Yeah. What, is, what is Lawnmower Man? I haven't seen that. <laughs> uh, it's a movie about... Um, it's like Flowers for Algernon, but a computer. Uh, and he okay. gets like superpowers at the end. Okay. Spoilers, cool. I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. He's called the Lawnmower Man because he uh, mows lawns and um, lives in a shack. And a priest who's his dad is like mean to him and then a scientist is like come let's do experiments on you um uh, at the 
like a big like government secret i don't know computer lab mm. it's a good watch yeah i'd say something like mars attacks as well as like uses cgi yeah. <laughs> i mean whether or not you think it's a good movie but they use cgi in a way that's like not realistic but kind of fucked up and kind of works well for the, yeah. the kind of film it is i mean from what i know about mass attack it's also like done on purpose like that like you know yeah yeah exactly yeah and um i think that's yeah that shows how you can use it like in a more interesting yeah. way um but I, I like yeah i like a lot of the effects in this movie i like the giant ones and i like the, the worms are great uh yeah i really love the worm in this one um and i like the sort of i like the navigators I think they're oh, fucking yeah, weird. They're, they're pretty good. Oh, yeah. I did like that. See that that like, felt like some David Lynch visual design. Yes, like, yeah, it really did. <laughs> weird, gross mouth. Stuff where it's like weird and in space, and there's like a big floating monster thing mm. that's like beaming stuff out of its mouth and then flying through the sky. I was like, okay, so this is this is definitely a David Lynch movie, you know. This does feel oh, kind of. <laughs> as long as we're on the CGI topic, it did. Uh, make me think how like as much as he denies this movie it does feel a precursor for uh, some of the weird CGI in uh, Twin Peaks The Return yeah which also well, yeah. I can see that yeah, I yeah. Also, and I also, I also remember when that season when like season 3 came out uh, there were people who were like oh I like this but what's with the CGI why can't David Lynch make better CGI and I completely missed the point that it's of course it's mm. intentional yeah yeah why didn't they I just I like the 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 whole like traveling without moving part has yeah. some like interesting transcendental meditation connections there probably yeah i uh, wonder if that's... i know yeah cuz there's got to be like a connection between like dune the book also has a ton of like philosophy with a big p in it <laughs> that i don't yeah. fully know where uh frank herbert took them from but like stuff like the litany against fear you know I must yeah. not fear because fear is the mind killer, etc. That seems to be rooted in, uh, like that. That seems kind to be rooted like in something. New age sort of yeah. has like. What was the part about uh, I will my mind into motion or something? Yeah. Like I don't think I can't uh, remember if that's in the. I think they invented oh, yeah. that for the movie where he's like, um, by power of will, I set my mind in motion. The the be- the juice of the berry of Safu stains the lips. The lips. Stain serves as a warning by the power of will alone. I set my mind in motion, something like that. But I yeah, think... that feels a bit mystic-y, magic with a K-E. Yeah. Well, know. because, um, like, the, um, uh, the whatchamacallits, um, the Mentats, they're meant to be human computers, because computers, like, AI is um, illegal in the world of Dune um, because of the butler and jihad. <laughs> Yeah, because there was like a big war about it. And so at the beginning where um, the navigator is talking to the emperor and he's saying, oh, he's been on this planet and they've got machines there. That's what he's sort of hinting at. He's like hinting at them illegally sort of creating these advanced machines, which they're not allowed to do. Um, but there's, you know, there's nothing to do with the rest of the plot, really. So it's sort of <laughs> <laughs> rushed over, really. It does yeah. feel like... That... Oh, go on. Well, that was just kind of the vibe. Like, I I went into this movie thinking, like, okay, I'm gonna like just take it as it is. Yeah. Pretend yeah. there's no book at all, but it's kind of impossible because right out the gate there's a very like, um, what's the word? Just like obvious and kind of a, a like obnoxious like exposition dump of like. Oh, there's so hmm, much exposition. These are all the this. things that. I'm are probably... Princess Irulan. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
and like things that people would probably know like in that universe yeah. and so it yeah. makes sense to not just have like a audience surrogate being like spice what's that <laughs> you know um but like it probably works a lot better in the book i'm guessing oh, for sure and doesn't feel as yeah you know contrived no there's a lot of this 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 kind of gets into both traps and adaptation can get at the same time which is kind of amazing <laughs> because it's at the same time so much exposition dump in a way that if you have no idea of any of this i can't imagine being able to follow it but on the other hand then also the entire like second half of the book is speedrun <laughs> like the the entire part for, from from like Paul getting into this Fremen society to her mother getting uh, Elia to uh, yeah. her, Paul marrying Chani to mm-hmm. Chani saying I will love you forever, <laughs> you know. After that, yeah, it just been, happens pretty. This quickly. happens in a span of like fifteen minutes, which is like four hundred page pages of the book, I think. <laughs> it is hard i mean there's all this other stuff that happens in the book with chani and yeah all that stuff and being accepted by the fremen which is that whole like you know yeah classic um avatar style dances with wolves mm-hmm. thing where you're like oh i will learn your ways and become one of you which um, once like once again <laughs> i feel like it's supposed to critique yeah like i well, as i always say, i always say that june is both orientalist and anti-orientalist yeah, yeah. at the same time i think that's very true uh, which makes it hard to sort of talk about sometimes. But um, yeah, it definitely like just gets through all those bits so we can have the epic worm stuff which is and like cool. the sort of final battle. <laughs> which is pretty cool, but it like this is this is also that's why I said this is maybe the adaptation Dune deserves because it is also like there's good there's a good reason why it failed uh, to be adapted so many times. Like this is impossible to it's adapt. It's not easy because because it's like one of those books where. Like, this is the thing about... I think there's a difference between science fiction books and science fiction movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. In a big way, in that science fiction movies, a lot of times are focused on the spectacle. Mm. Whereas... They're usually... They got, like, real people in them. Yeah. And uh, music and moving pictures. Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas, like, science fiction books can Uh do whatever... um, Whatever bullshit they like, like can they can get really deep into just really long conversations, you know, set in a backdrop of a futuristic uh, planet or society or whatever, and then have, you know, still have scenes in it that can't be adapted without a huge ass budget, like yeah, you can't cut the worm from Dune, like you can't make a, you know, small scale uh, mid budget movie out of it. It does. What if they were little ones? <laughs> What if it's just a little earthworm? It's just like a normal worm. You can just put your like, camera close to it and then it will look big. I think that's true. I think with sci-fi books, they are, a lot of them, very hard to adapt because yeah. they're very conceptual by nature and they tend to be very dense and there tends to be a lot of complicated world information that is hard to just really, really quickly understand in a in a movie, so... Like, I can't imagine trying to adapt an E.M. Banks book, really, mm-hmm. like a one of the culture novels or something. I think it would just be incredibly hard to make that into an, an hour and a half movie, or two and a half hour movie even. But I think it, it, it has a go. Yeah, I think the like action scenes were still pretty cool at the end. 
Uh, it just skipped over the whole like explosions. Yeah, (laughs) which is you know that's it's fun. More explosion, more good. More good the film. So uh, yeah, what do you want? Exactly. It's there's some great like dudes rock moments where um, Paul and um, the Fremen guy who is played by Bigette from uh, (laughs) Twin Peaks. Mm. (laughs) He's so good. They have they have some great bro moments in this. They're just pals. Just pals. Also, Duncan's here. <laughs> Duncan's here, and then he's dead. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Bye, Duncan. Duncan is like barely in it. Yeah, I, t- I completely forgot he's in it. <laughs> yeah, he's in it, and then you're meant to feel really sad when he's dead, and it's like, who? <laughs> who is he? Oh, it's Duncan. Uh, whereas in the book, he's like his best friend, and he's like, no, Duncan, and everyone loved him so much. They kept bringing his clones back to life in all of the books. Um, <laughs> Duncan is the key to all of this. Yeah, yeah. Duncan, he is like, yeah, he is in all the books. It's very funny. Um, he's gonna be funny, Jason Momoa in the new movie. Yeah, I'm hype. Um, yeah, I thought the actors, yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. A lot of good actors in this. It's, I feel like from the production end of it, like everyone seems to be putting their all into it. Like nobody yeah. seems to be taking the piss at all. I, yeah, costumes are great. Costumes are amazing. I love the costumes. And the uh, and the whole like so architecture, much. especially in the yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah in the early parts or or in all the like hardcore parts. Yeah, I love the. I mean, I, I think it's just very funny about how the Atreides they've all got these like weird militaristic, like almost quite conservative militaristic uniforms, and the Harkonnens have just got like space age weird. Just got bags, like, <laughs> girders and shit all over their all over their clothes. This thing he's wearing his bikini and he comes out and he's all wet and they're just like yes it's steamed sting um <laughs> freshly steamed freshly steamed sting um it's so funny how good sting is in this one <laughs> he's, so he's 100% going for it 100% he is yeah David, he looks so into it the whole time david lynch <laughs> is one of the best at the very niche filmmaker thing of um casting musicians in your projects and mm. having getting really good performances out of them and by like the other examples i can think of is david bowie and uh, firewalk with me and um billy ray cyrus in oh yeah billy ray cyrus Mulholland oh drive, <laughs> Mulholland drive. Um, and the, the woman wow. who's the agent in their turn, she's also a musician. Oh, yeah. Chris, Krista Bell, yeah. I think. Yeah, Krista, yeah. She's okay. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't really, like... Yeah, yeah her she... character is given a, a lot to do. So yeah. She's... <laughs> she's uh... Yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, like, specifically, uh, also, like, musicians you might, like, you will recognize by looking at them, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's not like an obscure someone, it's fucking Sting. <laughs> Yes, things here. Yeah. It's it's not like some uh you know, some musician, it's David Bowie being like five minutes in your movie and being amazing. Yeah. And you know, if he dies you can just replace him with a big yeah. kettle and it's cool. Because it works. Um just works. I think there is a lot of like actors in this as well that are classic Lynch actors. Um this is the first Carl McLaughlin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the boys' thing. debut. Yeah. So that's really exciting. So even if he hated making this, he still discovered Kyle in the process. Yeah, Kyle and was like, I will, and, I will uh, lose this child forever. Like he brought back uh, Jack Nance from... Yeah, Jack Nance was in the yeah, in his minor role. Eraserhead. He's 
he's so funny in this. <laughs> like he barely he says like he's anything. Having a bad time. <laughs> yeah, time. <laughs> it's very good. He's just always there. Yeah, Jack Nance is here, and David Lynch has got himself as a cameo yeah. character as well. Oh yeah. Uh, um, this is a great scene. Uh, he's he's just crediting on IMDb on IMDb as a spice worker, mm-hmm. uh, but he's like he's like really uh, muddy in his face, and like I was, I think he's I spicy. recognized him by his voice before I would recognize uh, him by face. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't even realize it was him until I watched it this mm-hmm. time because I was just like saw the grime and was like, ah, oh, grimy yeah. man. I I think I didn't <laughs> notice it when we watched it, Charlotte. I think yeah, this is the time I was like, oh wait, that's. David. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's those. We also have Everett McGill, uh, who we mentioned earlier, Bigat from Twin Peaks. Who, yeah. interesting Love guy because he like fully retired from also acting. Also didn't realize it was him. Uh, yeah. And I remember before the before the return was announced, he David Lynch tweeted out, "If anyone can find Everett McGill, please contact him. I want I want to talk to him." <laughs> <laughs> because he apparently, like, reti- fully retired from acting and, like, uh, from from the public life and is now living in a cabin somewhere in the mountains. He did return for the return. Yeah, exactly. I'm looking at the IMDb and he had his, his last credit before Twin Peaks The Return was in 1999. All right. That's cool that he came back, though. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that he did because that gave him a normal, like... Oh, it's good. I can't wait for that. Um, I feel like in all the interviews I've seen, a- actors always speak very fondly of David Lynch. The way yeah, he seems like to him. work with performers, he's very, very... They seem to love him for that. Yeah, they're very affectionate. Even if sometimes they go a bit crazy and then they have a falling out. Um, yeah, yeah, but that's, like, on them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of the weirder yeah. ones. Like, um, what's her name? That wasn't, was it Sherilyn Fenn? Who was the one who was... Um, oh, no, no, no. It was... Um, the one who was recast for Firewalk with Me, right? Yeah, Donna. Uh, L- Laura Flynn Boyle. Yeah, yeah. Laura Flynn Boyle, yeah, she mm. fell out. Yeah, she him. and the. But she was a bit weird. The guy who played also, the man from another place. Yeah, but he went very strange. He's like, ins- um, he's, that's like an insane person, genuinely. Like he. Yeah, I think he he had a bit of a, bit of a breakdown. But yeah, anyway, oh. June. <laughs> Dune. 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 Arrakis. Arrakis. Desert planet. Desert planet. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, so quotable. So many funny deliveries. Um, I was gonna say the, the other thing I was gonna say about the actors as we were talking about um, classic Lynch guys being in this. Like, so so we mm. we have all these people who would then later show up in Twin Peaks. So it's like yeah, and it's 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 pretty much the David Lynch gang also in a way that. Um, Everett McGill and Jack Nance didn't really do anything noteworthy that wasn't in a David Lynch project. Mm. And even Kai McLachlan, while he did do some non-Lynch stuff, I think like 95% of, like maybe Showgirls is the only like notable non-David Lynch role. Sex in the City. Yeah, I was going to say Sex uh, in the Sex City. In the city. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I know what you mean. Um, so we get those people, in... like the Lynch gang, and then we have like yeah. a ton of like super well respected, classically trained, you know, these Shakespearean uh, actors. Yeah, like so we Patrick have, Stewart. We have Patrick Stewart. Oh, yeah, man. he's that. Jean-Luc he's Picard. angry. It's so weird seeing seeing him being like so belligerent because I expect that sort of like you know yeah. um, Captain Picard like yeah. stoicness, but he's like attacks this kid. Yeah, he's just. 
He's like a little general guy, and he's like, you will be prepared and you will bleed if you fight one wit below your abilities. Um, <laughs> it's great. Yeah, then we have Max von Sudo in, like, oh, yeah. like in yeah, it for yeah, 10 yeah. minutes. Yeah. Uh, then, you know, Leto is played by Jürgen Prochnow, the, like, German actor who's most famous for Das Boot. And I gotta say, Duke Leto and... Uh, Lady Jessica, ideal for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're kind of, you know, Jessica is kind of a milf and uh, Leto is a bit of a dilf, so. Yeah. Kyle looks like like the same age as the people who are his <laughs> <Yeah>. parents. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's maybe a bit old. I think he plays it quite boyishly, but I think he is... He's not like in the book. He's fifteen, yeah. which obviously he's not in this. Yeah, that's. Cool. It's, I think it's very funny how, like, especially at the beginning of the movie, uh, later he becomes more serious uh, and more like, you know, as he becomes the Kwisatz Haderach, he um, gets more of a you know cold authoritarian voice. But at the beginning mm. of it, I think his acting is very funny because he's like clearly a guy in his late twenties, early thirties, trying to trying hard so trying so hard to act like a teenager. <laughs> He's like, I know my back was at the door, but I knew it was yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> I could have I could have told if it was not you, you know, I could I would have heard it. He's just a little boy. I like it when he sees the spice for the first time and immediately shoves that shit <laughs> in his Chomp. mouth. <laughs> there is no hesitation. Mom. It's in there. And I'm like, are you just gonna sit down or something first? <laughs> Any preparation at all? No, opens the box straight in the mouth. Yeah. He's like, I am going on a journey. Uh I did like the dreaming cinematics. I thought they were kind of cool. Pretty good. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were fun. I like the pugs. I love the pug, yeah. Oh, yeah, I love to just have a, just a straight-up pug. Just a regular dog. That that that, <laughs> that threw me a little bit. <laughs> I, love that, I love that scene where uh, there's, like, this big attack um, and the pug, like, somehow escapes. And then you see, like, Patrick Stewart... <laughs> Uh, leading the counterattack or whatever, and he has his pug in his arms. It's so funny. Yeah, <laughs> you don't want it it's to so die. <laughs> it's just there's like something Pugs really charming about this, you know, outstandingly charismatic guy, Patrick Stewart, having a tiny pug in his hand. <laughs> yeah. So, how did we feel about? Um... Yui, the doctor, and his plan to defeat the evil Harkonnens. Uh-huh. Uh... <laughs> How is that great? I like the bit he bites the tooth, but he gets confused and he, he breasts the wrong guy to death. <laughs> <laughs> the tooth. The, the tooth. tooth. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean about the, the line readings in this are just so bad. There are some crackers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the pain. <laughs> The pain is the one I always think of, where he's just like, the pain! Also, my name is a killing word. This is why the Danny Villeneuve movie is like, he just can't go to the level, because they showed the pain box scene and Timothée Chalamet. Like, even if you had Timothée Chalamet say the pain, it would be just just be like, the pain. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, the pain. You know? Ooh, I'm a uh, mopey teenager. <laughs> The pain, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but it hurts, I guess. 
Uh, I guess I'm in pain right Ooh, now. Can I get the participation trophy? The pain. <laughs> <laughs> Millennials they, be like. Uh, get the crawling in my skin over that scene. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty scary. Like the when they showed. I think that was pretty good. How they showed the pain. I like it. Uh, yeah. When the hand was like dissolving. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's like a good way to visually show what the pain is going through. I think, genuinely. And I think having, I think her acting, um, the Bene Gesserit mother. I'm not sure who the actress is. I think she's pretty good. Yeah. Um, especially in that scene and where she's got the finger against his neck and she's like, "You will feel an itching." And it's it's pretty tense. I think you know? she's the good. closest to being like just exactly how I imagine the Bene Gesserit to be from the books. Yeah. I feel yeah. like that first half of the movie, I actually watched it in two sittings this time, mm-hmm. just because I was mm. a bit, little bit busy. That first half, I feel like it's paced like pretty well. Yeah. You get introduced to a bunch yeah. of stuff and a bunch of like at the right sort of speed. And then you move over to Arrakis and it's all fun. And then, you know, it all, oh, they get betrayed. And it all, yeah, no, it moves pretty nice. Yeah. The second half is where it starts to like, because it's yeah. trying to catch up with itself sort of, then it loses a lot of the energy. Yeah, I have to say like, uh, yeah, that's not to true. hand it to the upcoming Dune movie, but it's, you know, I... Like, financially speaking, uh, I'm not sure about the splitting it into two parts because I'm, like, unless he already shot both parts, I could imagine the first part just flopping really hard, especially because 2020, um, and there not be a second part, which would be a bummer to have a half movie. But I will say, like, splitting it up into two parts sounds like a reasonable decision (laughs) because in this movie, the... The, the adaptation of the second half of the book is, as I mentioned, so rushed. Mm. <laughs> I would have yeah, loved to... Two-year time skip. Like, Jen, how did you... The, as, as someone who saw the movie for the first time and hasn't read the book, how did mm. Paul's sister read to you? <laughs> uh, well, I also watched it in two sittings, funny enough. Yeah. Um, uh, and, like, when the... <laughs> When the sister came up, I was like, did I miss that yeah, part that, in yeah, the yeah, first yeah. half? Like, just, Don't you know, worry about it. was there a scene I forgot about? It was like, hey, little sis, hey, big bro. Like, <laughs> you know, little quick bonding moment. No, it was just, She's like, okay, so that's good to affirm that I I didn't yeah. just forget. The movie forgot no. about her, too. She, so she, meets a, well, she meets a new guy, and so she, wait, does she? Oh, no, she's carrying the child. Yeah. Right, she's pregnant, yeah, and then because and she, drinks she drinks the, drinks the juice, she, yeah, she drinks the the magic juice, and that makes her carried to term magic Bene Gesserit evil child who then grows really yeah. quickly. It's a pretty cool scene in the book, right? Like that's yeah. one of the. As I said, I remember very little about the plot. That one scene where she uh, gets uh, spice birthed is like so spooky. Yeah. And she's like really, and everyone's kind of afraid of her because she's like a weird child, and she's got powers, and she's like yeah. not supposed to be born. In this, it's like in this, she's like super yeah. cool. She's <laughs> like, I'm an evil child. <laughs> <laughs> I'll. It's time for you, Baron. Um, <laughs> is she ADR? I couldn't tell. I think she was. I think right? she yeah. probably was. Kids generally are. There was some. There was some really bad ADR in the scene where they where they're taking Paul and his mother to, like, the, the southern part of, of mm. the planet. Like, the two guys driving the... I want to say truck, but it probably wasn't a truck. Um, there was just weird, <laughs> like, truck. 
cutting as to not show their mouth movements and like yeah. just weirdness there. I feel like like at the beginning there's a part like speaking of ADR. There's a pretty cool part I remember from the beginning, and I think it also comes up later, where uh, someone's saying something, and there's like a translation device in front of them, so you can see mm. how their lips are moving differently than from what you hear. And mm. I think it's a pretty cool effect. Yeah. It's just kind of diminished by seeing all the thinking out loud stuff because it's yeah. it like looks very right. similarly to that. Mm. Right. Yeah. I like the Baron as a villain. Oh, the Baron. Yeah, oh, no, I, I was going to yeah, yeah. say we should talk about yeah, the Harkon- Harkonnens a little bit. Yeah, so the Baron's, like, fucked up. He's just, like, unrelentingly disgusting and horrible, and it's amazing. <laughs> this, like, his his introduction scene is, like, him yeah. having all those disgusting things in his face. Uh-huh. And then there's a guy who is, like, pulling them out. Yeah. And then there's another guy like, who like squishes like squishes them. one of the what do you say? Yeah, he's like lancing them. He's like draining yeah. them, I think. And then there's another guy who like squishes one of the one of those things taken out of his face and drinks it. I was gonna I, I was gonna bring that up. I didn't know they got it out of his face, but that that was did they this little ribena? I think it was. I thought it was just a, a thing. I didn't. Yeah, I just thought it was that. just like a rat. Maybe it was something. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was like a. I thought it was like a bug that they just like squish Maybe. and drink because they're evil. And he's because yeah. he's Fade Routh's cousin. Mm. Um, That's the Adrenochrome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he he's just like a fucked up dude, you know? They're just evil. They're pretty <laughs> evil. Like, they just spend all their time just like rolling around their weird smoky seamy rooms and just being evil <laughs> I love the at way, each other. He, I love the way he started ha- floating. <laughs> yeah, no, he just floats just, just floats into and out of scenes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just cackles and he's Everyone like, else Ooh. is firmly on two feet, but Baron Harkonnen will float wherever he wants. It's honestly good for him. Yeah. Yeah. It, and... If I could, I would. Yeah. <laughs> and like the when he says like when the I think it's the emperor he says like bring me the the floating fat man the baron like oh that floating fat man yeah yeah <laughs> not the yeah. <laughs> say no more yeah like yeah the fat, he's like you know the floating fat guy the baron <laughs> <laughs> also a classic line reading that I yeah perfectly recall <laughs> um. Yeah, and we got the great bit where the Baron's like, I'm going to do some heart plug shit. There's a boy here. He's like got purple tulips and he's putting them in a tray. Um, he He's like under some black fluid that's falling out of the ceiling. I don't know if this is like... I guess I don't feel like I have to understand what's happening. You know, you sort of... You get the gist and you're like, okay, so it's just some fucked up evil stuff, you know? Yeah, just juice that makes you fucked up and evil. <laughs> Yeah, it's just fucking lynch juice. Yeah. It's evil you know? lynch juice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he gets some, like, evil satisfaction from killing attractive men. I mean, in the books, it's, like, super homophobic, so... Yeah? It's... Mm. Um, yeah, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Um, whereas in this, they're just like, I don't know. He <laughs> does some fucked up shit, and Sting is watching, and he's, like, having a great he time just it. watching. <laughs> so Sting just cool. has that smirk plastered to his face the whole movie. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, the iconic scene is, of course, where he emerges. uh, Yeah. Out of that, like, what happens there actually? 
I don't know. You, it's, it's, again, it's another thing where I'm like, I have no idea what's happening, but I'm just going to go with it because it sort of printer, makes a sort of, a sort of themic <laughs> sense. I imagine it's just like a, a sauna that makes him strong mm-hmm. in some way. It's like yeah. a steroid sauna. Yeah, and then he comes and out he comes and out. just wears like one piece of underwear. And the Baron's like, you're so beautiful, Fade. Yeah. I mean, he is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But a bit weird to say to your like, nephew. I guess. Um. And you can platonically compliment your nephew for... Yeah, you can. <laughs> platonically compliment your nephew. God. Yeah. I, wish, I wish the entire movie was like that, right? Because, as yeah. I s- said, uh, science fiction... It's a science fiction book that is hard to adapt. And I think the failings of this movie are when they try to adapt it. And the yeah. cool parts are where David Lynch is just doing some kind of fucked up shit that he feels like doing. Mm. Like, those are the memorable parts, right? Like, the, you know, Phaedra yeah. emerging part, or the, like, Harkonnen weirdness part. Yeah, and I think a lot of the problems come from Lynch being a very, I think, instinctive yeah. uh, filmmaker who likes to do things because he's like, oh, that would be interesting and I want to do this scene where this happens, which doesn't lend itself to adaption. It's not, like, mm, yeah. I mean, he, good for adapting he something. He does adapt stuff later on, but it's, I think, again, I haven't seen um, Wild at Heart or read the book. Oh, I didn't know it was a book. Okay, it, it is a book, and it's written by the same guy who then later co-wrote Lost Highway with David Lynch. Well, that might make it a bit more similar. Exactly, to his like sort of I think he style of filmmaking. I, I think him adapting stuff only works when it's like the kind of thing that he would want to adapt, and not something that is already like super dense and already has like a ton of technical specifications and terminology. Mm. That yeah, like, I, I think that is more a restraint for David Lynch, whereas something that is more like impressionistic is maybe more up to his speed. Yeah, again, he's he's an. I always think of him as being a very emotional filmmaker, and that works for, I guess, things that where the story is a lot to do with emotion yeah. and stuff, but not to do with adapting specific plot points about complicated mm. like sci-fi political intrigue, yeah. but also like weird technology and stuff. Yeah, it's also very it's very very visual. So I can imagine it's diff- yes. it's difficult to communicate a lot of this sort of dense, like you know, political stuff purely visually. You you you've got you know. You've got sight and you've got sound. In a book, yeah, you can literally just explain everything you need to mm. explain. Yeah. But trying to communicate, yeah, trying to efficiently communicate that with images, yeah, maybe not yeah. in his wheelhouse. I feel like maybe I mean, David Lynch even could have made like a genuinely great movie out of Dune if it wasn't in the studio system. Mm. Mm. Yeah. If right. if he could go like more free and more like you know be more ruthless to the source material, not having to like adapt everything of it. Uh, yeah, something you know, like how in like Annihilation is like a completely mm-hmm. different thing yeah. to the book, where it's like rather than adapting the information from the book, you get sort of like a vague feeling that's sort of vaguely inspired by a book yeah. instead. You know? Yeah, telling the story, telling like the same story or a similar story, but just in in different ways. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I've been thinking about adaptation a lot recently, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know, kind of a thing that comes up in our podcasts every once in a while. Um, yeah, 
occasionally. And we're we're developing new theories about what is a good adaptation, if if that's even possible. So mm. we'll by the time the watch TV show comes out, we'll have it figured out. <laughs> Another working theory. Uh, uh, pretty cool worm. Pretty good worm. Excellent worm. Good worm. I like the worm. They're all good worms. I, I saw it. I went, oh worm. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, I like the writing scene. I mean, not to be like other than the books, but like in the books, obviously, it's like a thing that they just do. Whereas I feel like in this, they're like, "Ooh, we've invented a new thing called writing the worms." Um, It's given some weight, which is nice. Yeah, it's given some weight, but at the same time, with everything in the second half, they sort of like are like, "Oh, we're gonna do it," and they do it, and then they move on immediately. Yeah, it's not like, "Oh no, (laughs) we're we're struggling." Oh, we wrote the worm. Okay. <laughs> we decide to ride yeah. the worm. We ride the worm. We move on. Kind of a um, checklist, like yeah, it yeah. definitely yeah. feels like yeah. that. Yeah, they have yeah, the yeah. worm. There's a war for two years, and the, uh, the sister makes the fat man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I must have blinked when I saw that. Did, did she pull his nipples off or something? Yeah, when that she, <laughs> she got. Um, so he's got two <laughs> heart plugs. He's got two heart plugs, right, and she pulls okay. out both of them. It does look like she's pulling out I don't think that scene was supposed to be funny, but oh, but it is. But she's got like the gum jibar, and he goes flying off into the worm's mouth. I think just generally, uh, Paul's sister is like really funny. Yeah, she is. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah. In the beginning, I, I would say throughout the film, actually, there's a little bit of like. Star Wars prequels vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Like with the space, space political politics, drama. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like just the opening scene is could be the opening scene of a Star Wars prequel because it starts with uh, with some Trade Federation stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wasn't there something? Could... They, they used they used some sets or something from Star Wars. I thought there was something possible. I don't there know. Was some sort of connection. Yeah. Hold on. Let me and check. I mean, like George Lucas clearly. Uh, clearly has a high respect for David Lynch like he offered him uh, to to direct Return of the Jedi which I still think would have been oh amazing. Oh my god. <laughs> to live in a world yeah where Return of the Jedi was directed by <laughs> David Lynch. So I think it's mm-hmm. possible that George Lucas just really liked Dune and uh, that inspired him to make the prequels <laughs> the way they were. Yeah. <laughs> it's possible. Uh, yeah and I could I can kind of see like trying to cash in on, like, the Star Wars wave a little bit. I think it absolutely... Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that absolutely was, like, one of the reasons why this movie failed financially, because they tried to market it as the new Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. And said... The the hot, you know, young protagonist and... and, Yeah. And great, great um, love interest, Chani, who Uh is, like, (laughs) cool and inspiring and just like Princess Leia. (laughs) Has she got about ten words of script? Uh-huh. Yeah, she died in the adaption. The adaption just was like, I don't know, she's there and she's hot, I guess. <laughs> Tell me of your home world, Usul. Um, yeah, because I think she he has to like defeat her in battle in the book yeah. in order to like get hot. get. Yeah, and then and then he she becomes like his concubine and he marries the emperor's daughter but as he marries her he like tells her that he will never love her or show her affection and that's her punishment for being the emperor's daughter oh, I mean. <laughs> wow shit <laughs> great shit um, Mr. Herbert <laughs> um I do I just do wanted to say this bit that I heard that Lynch 
yeah, he was offered Return of the Jedi. He agreed to direct Dune and write the screenplay, though he had not read the book, known the story, or even been interested in science fiction. <laughs> King shit. That's incredible. Uh, yeah, so you know that doesn't that doesn't really help. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. Okay. Universal has approached him to do a director's cut, but he doesn't want to. Yeah, fair enough. If it's you know, obviously, it's obviously a bad memory for him. Yeah. I think that's the bit that I dislike the most about it is that it seems to have made David Lynch sad. Yeah. I mean, obviously the point of this podcast is to approach it as a Lynch movie, mm. specifically. Yeah. Um, so I guess you can see this as being quite important in how it, it yeah, how it directs him for like the rest of yeah, his how movies. It how the it the rest of his sort of... Yeah. So I think in that way it is significant. Because like Elephant Man showed that him like trying to or potentially going into more mainstream movies, and then this sort of destroyed yeah. that trajectory that he was on. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's... Which I'm okay with that. Yeah, you know, for sure. Like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, what yeah. what direction would he have gone in if that if that if Dune had been a massive success? It would have been a financial goldmine. Yeah. Dune yeah. 2. He might have done... Return of the Worms. Dune Messiah, <laughs> yeah. I think they should have done Children of Dune. would have been great. Um... Roger Ebert gave Dune one star out of four. Thanks, Roger. Thanks, Roger. And wrote, This movie is a real mess, an incomprehensible, ugly, unstructured, pointless excursion into the murkier realms of one of the most confusing screenplays of all time. <laughs> ugly? <Yeah>. Look. <laughs> the, the, the thing is, Roger Ebert also hated, like, he gave, I think, Elephant Man one and a half stars. stars and, oh, right. Uh, oh, yeah, he did. That's <laughs> like, I think that's objectively an unhateable movie. With this one, I can, like, kind of understand if it's, like, not your vibe. Mm, yeah. I think Ebert generally, like, as much as I... Um, I talked about this last episode. As much as I uh, appreciate his uh, input on many things, he, you know, his preferences don't lie in the super weird stuff, I guess. And and yeah. he doesn't like... Like, I mentioned the thing about how he hated... He's a uh, normie. Baz Luhrmann's Romeo plus Juliet, because he... He hates movies that are substance, uh, or that are style over substance, I guess, or where style is the substance. Mm. He doesn't like style. He likes, he approaches movies as, I don't know, social realist drama, I guess, which is fine. Mm-hmm. It's just not necessarily what I see. I think in he gave spe- didn't he give like, there was like some really bizarre movie that he gave like a really positive review. It was either like the Super Mario Brothers movie or Space Jam, <laughs> potentially both. <laughs> I know he gave the Brothers Grip three out of four stars. Mm-hmm. Um, and you like that one? In comparison. Well, yeah, I do like it. Um, and he was like, it's a Terry Gilliam movie. You just watch it and go, aha, Terry Gilliam. And I don't see how he, <laughs> he can do that with Terry Gilliam, but not with David Lynch, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Space Jam got three and a half stars out of four. That's amazing. Wow, What so. did he... Do you have the review out? I'm on and slam. <laughs> Welcome to... Uh. <laughs> What if David Lynch directed Space Jam? <laughs> oh, now that's a film. Now that is a f- uh, Space Jam is a happy marriage of good ideas. Three films for the price of one, giving us a comic treatment of the career adventures of Michael Jordan, crossed with a Looney Tunes cartoon and some showbiz warfare. I'm not just saying a movie is like three movies is normally like a positive thing. <laughs> you know what? I love that for yeah, him. More, mo- more movies equals more good. <laughs> three movies equals three good. What if it was five movies all in one? Oh, amazing. Oh, man. Okay. Um, 
So where are we? It's where can, are we ranking this? Can I just say this? one more thing about because I just I just remembered related to <laughs> okay. uh, Roger Ebert liking liking Space Jam. I just remembered how uh, in 2015 uh, the very respected uh, and pretty cool film critic Mark Kermode, who's like favorite movies. Oh yeah, are, I love Mark Kermode. Yeah, like he he has he has great taste generally, and he I remember mm. he put in his. His number ten on his uh, ten favorite movies of the year list in 2015 was The Minions. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I like Mark Kermode. <laughs> he hated um, The Greatest Showman, yeah. but really, but when he started reviewing Mamma Mia, here we go again, he started crying. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's the opinions of a critic that I respect. You yeah. know, <laughs> I I love how Matt he got at the Entourage movie. He also got mad at. Um, Sex in the yeah. City 2 and started singing um, the Nationale because <laughs> um, <laughs> he said this film would ignite a class war. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was very good. Um, okay, yeah, so, Dune, how do we think this film ranks in our our current roster of David Lynch movies we've watched so far? Um, it's the worst of the three that we've mm. watched so far. Okay. Um, yeah, I gave this movie two stars because... I, w- I just wasn't feeling yeah. it. Uh, there, there's a lot to like, but it just wasn't. Uh, just what? Just didn't do loads for me. Although I could imagine like watching it with friends, yeah, or like it getting super trash with friends, and yeah, just sort of riffing <laughs> on it could be a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I kind of like. I, I agree with. I, I think it's clearly like the objectively worst of these. There's like so many things yeah. wrong with it uh i also can't really rank it like I, I can't i couldn't give it a rating like this is one of those weird movies where it's like hard to you know i don't know it feels like outside of categories or outside of <laughs> rateability <laughs> yeah i to me i will always take this movie rules and i will <laughs> always i'll always love it probably um, so, although it's, like, objectively worse than, like, The Elephant Man, if I was thinking, I'm gonna watch a fun David Lynch movie, I would not, I would not choose Elephant Man over this to watch. <laughs> I mean, of course not, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. If, no. Elephant Man is not really in the realm of fun. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> no. Imagine having some friends well, over, movie, yeah. uh, <laughs> drink some beer and get yeah. high and... <laughs> Watch Elephant Man. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone just sits perfectly silently. Just vibing. Two hours and then goes straight take, vibing take to a, Elephant Man. Take a drink every time he feels marginalized. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. June, June is June is June is good. I like June. I think yeah. There's obviously like you know structural and production flaws with it it's you know the craft on display is not as there's not like a consistency to it mm-hmm. i think but like for the mm. first half maybe even the first two thirds if you're being generous it's like you know pretty standard yeah. spacey romp you know it's it's an adventure mm. you can you can follow it along reasonably reasonably swiftly <laughs> for the first half at yeah. least and i love space stuff so i'm just you know mm-hmm. i'm sold already chill it yeah and i just think the aesthetics of it are so enjoyable to me that i'm mm. i'm like I'm just like looking at the screen and all like the cool hairstyles and like yeah this is good. <laughs> yeah, I could see myself falling in love with it if I sort of watched it enough times. Yeah. But as a 
on my first Stockholm syndrome of a movie. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) As a, I can see why it's a cult hit. Mm. Is there's just there's just so much, there's just so much to this film. Mm. Also, it makes me think of um, Scooby Doo Mystery Incorporated um, in season two, where one the female dog who's like Scooby's love interest has been possessed by like a god spirit, and it starts one of the episodes with her doing the Princess Irulan thing with her head in front of space. <laughs> <laughs> And she's like, Scooby-Doo, the reincarnation of one of the Anunnaki gods and his mystery gang must save the universe. That's amazing. How is Mystery Incorporated that good? It's so fucking good. God, I need to, I need to get back to watching that show because I've seen like half of the first season and really liked it. I think whoever made it just really loves David Lynch as well. There's like multiple other references. Yeah, There's Peaks this whole... There's this whole Red Room yeah. subplot that's, like, a significantly important <laughs> part of the story. Yeah, no, yeah, it's not just, like, little cameos or little references. No, it's, it's, it's like integral plot elements are just from Twin Peaks. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, like, I think... I think this is... This, is, this movie is just also, like, a good exercise in... Uh, like, like... Because I said, I said the thing about how it's, it's hard to consider this in the same you can't really compare this to elephant man Mm. in Mm. any meaningful way but i think it's interesting to view movies as less of a question of well is this a good movie or not but more of a okay i see i see what happened here (laughs) you know like Mm. to to like consider the way how you know how there's interesting ideas in it, how there's probably a ton of studio interference that, like, I think the, the like, uh, ADR'd thought spoken out loud sounds like studio note, you know? Yeah. So, in a way, in a way to consider movies as, like, okay, this was a failure for David Lynch, um, and it's, you know, it's not this magic thing, movies. It's still being made, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is probably like the most money he ever got to make a movie as well. It's interesting. I think mm. so. Maybe that's probably true. Yeah. Do you think he got more for Twin Peaks season three? No. Because that's like this was fifteen million. Fifteen uh-huh. million. Um, I think that that was like significant, but I don't think in it was like Showtime, yeah. so I don't think it was anywhere. Yeah, really and even like close. split for like eighteen episodes. It's you know. Yeah. Yeah. There was like. And there was uh, disputes because he wasn't gonna. He was stepping yeah. down from it because they didn't. Oh they yeah. Didn't give him enough money. They they wanted less episodes as well, and he was like, "I'm gonna do this episodes." Which I think is like um, super fair of him. Like I think I think back then people were spinning spinning this as a way as boo David Lynch is betraying us. He's just too greedy. And no, like he's someone who's as experienced as the as in the film business as David Lynch. I, he he seems like the kind of guy who knows exactly what budget he needs to make a thing happen in a way he needs it to happen. So I think it's totally fair that he was mm. like, no, if you if you don't pay me in a way, like if you don't give me the budget that I need to make this season of Twin Peaks, I'm just not gonna do it. God, yeah. imagine if imagine if he hadn't made season mm. three. 
Just an entire <laughs> season of James and Evelyn uh-huh. and fucking Ben Horn's <laughs> Civil War. There was really a, like, there was a moment where, like, Showtime said, uh, okay, well, David Lynch is out, but we're still gonna go ahead, and then all the actors said no. <laughs> like, literally yeah. everyone said no. Yeah. No Twin Peaks without David. Which is reasonable. Mm-hmm. They were like, fuck that, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, can you imagine if they were just, like, trying to bring back all the fun your fave characters yeah. just to do Twin Peaksy things and try to recreate it. I guess that's, like, season two, but everyone's old. Uh-huh. Um. <laughs> Awful. It would have been, like, I think that was, like, about the same year or, like, a year after um, X-Files came back. Mm, yeah, I didn't even hear about that's that. Right. Like, how did it... Yeah. Is it bad? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I haven't watched it, but I heard from people who saw it that it was really just, like, a nostalgia show. Basically. Yeah, they always are. You can't bring back a show for nostalgia value and expect it to be good, you know? Yeah. You can only bring it back and have David Lynch go, okay, um, no Let's nostalgia. Destroy all yeah. of this. <laughs> no nostalgia for you. You can Fuck have you a for bit. liking this show. <laughs> <laughs> you can have a bit, but actually, who's Dale Cooper? It's Dougie now. Dougie Supremacy. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have Kyle MacLachlan in every episode playing two different characters and none of those are the one you like yeah neither of those are the one you wanted <laughs> we got grimy grimy guy and like guy who just does things and can't talk and but fucks pretty doesn't good. really understand what's going on but he fucks good um <laughs> uh naomi what's is there she's angry <laughs> it's good stuff okay the treasure ah oh, so good yeah so I'm going to wrap up. Yeah, let's. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lynchpin in which we talked about Dune, uh, as I'm sure you remember. Um, <laughs> I hope this was good to listen to. And we will be back next month with, I believe, Blue Velvet. Yeah. I'm so excited ah. for that. That's Blue Velvet. That's yeah. Good. Have all of, us, all of us have seen Blue Velvet, right? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah pretty good movie we're all finding ears on the grass as a collector yeah we are i'm all pretty excited to rewatch that i'm very excited to rewatch that yeah me too it's been a while when did we watch it i think it was first year yeah okay so a while ago yeah i think i also all watched right. it like around yeah around the time i started university <laughs> mm. it's the first year of university yeah. movie okay um if you want more of, if you're someone who hasn't listened to our other podcast or isn't aware of them and somehow found this one, congratulations. Um, then, congratulations. <laughs> and how? Um, you can listen to Who Who Watches the Watch with Me and Janos and some other people where we talk about Discworld, or you can listen to a song of Babies and Puppies with me and Janos and some other people who are different to those <laughs> other people where we talk about A Song of Ice and Fire, or you can listen to 5050 Chaz where me and Janosh and another person who's separate from those other people uh, <laughs> play a fun lying game um, yeah and you can listen to uh, the age I forgot the name the age of pods <laughs> with me and Janosh and one other person who's separate from uh-huh. all of those other people <laughs> uh, where we talk about uh, the work of Sufjan Stevens hell yeah yeah and you can listen to mine and Alex's future podcast um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll and we'll, um, we're gonna. Uh, you can also subscribe to 
twitch.tv slash helmomet. How do you spell it? Mm-hmm. H-E-L-M-O-M-M-E-T-E, uh-huh. I think, for the Twitch. Where or maybe no E for the Twitch. We're gonna stream some spooky Funko Pops. Yeah, more Funko Pops rating. Um, we sometimes rate Funko Pops as an ironic bit that is also sort of non-ironic, but is also ironic. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> okay, that's enough. Uh, we'll see you next time. And as always, the spice must flow. The tradies nuts. <laughs> <laughs> the spice must flow, yeah. <laughs> Out of my underwear. <laughs> Walk without rhythm, it won't attract the worm. Walk without rhythm, 